Welcome to the LEAP Podcast. This is Tammy Tran and Tammy Bui, your host for the LEAP Podcast. LEAP stands for Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics. Susan Davis is our guest. She is the Chief Sustainability Officer for Comcast NBC Universal, and she's joined by her daughter, Sophia Jin Malatesta, a college student at Renmar College. In this episode, we wanted to focus on family and culture, and family is such a big part of many Asian families. It's who we are. Susan and Sophia, a mother-daughter team, um, represented a lot of the ways that we feel in our families in so many ways, and we heard this show up in her career as as well as how Susan raised her daughter and now actually how Sophia raises Susan at times. And what I loved about our conversation with them is just the, the, the chemistry between the two of them. They're very, you could see that they're very similar in a lot of ways, but they're also very different and distinct women and women leaders in their own right. Yeah, Tammy, was there anything else that stood out to you? I'm curious for you, we're both moms. And so what stood out to you when you were listening to that conversation between Susan and, uh, and Sophia? I think for me coming, you know, as a second generation Vietnamese American, I just remember thinking, I wish I could have this kind of rapport with my own mom. Yeah, I would add that I think at one point, Tammy, I don't know if you remember the conversation of the complexity, right? The complexity of being Asian American and how on one hand we're expected to be a certain way. And then in a, on another, I can't remember exactly what those were, but it was like this duality also of being Asian American, being both a model minority and then and being blamed um, for not showing up enough in certain ways. There was complexity around that. Absolutely, Tammy. And for you and your kids, I mean, where Sophia, I believe really, I, I felt like I learned a lot from her is, you know, what it what not only is she API, but she's bicultural. And and that that brings on a lot of different nuances and being um, bicultural. And she shares a story during this episode about how she, that realization came to her and, and one particular experience in her life. And that's an amazing moment during this, com- this this episode. Totally. And I would say the last the last thing that stood out to me is that regardless of the complexities and some of the pain, I think that came up, um, it was left with a lot of hope. Right. Hope mm-hmm. that that even with all that Susan endured and what she when she looked back and she didn't realize maybe some of the impact of certain things on Sophia. Um, yet Sophia is so hopeful and optimistic in how we can treat one another and how we can build community. And so I feel like that was why it was so energizing for me at the end is that ultimately, yes, we can acknowledge these histories and heal from them. Um, but then there's a lot of optimism and a lot of hope to move forward. share a quick story and this is how I'd like to introduce Sophia which is I met Susan through Leap. Uh, Susan has got to numerous awards. I don't know if you know that already uh, Tammy but Susan is somebody who has been awarded for her leadership for always being someone who is not just a, a leader for herself but because she cares about others and brings others along with her. So I always have been able to listen to her. She probably doesn't even think much about it because she's gotten so many of these but we but we listen <laughs> and I know 
she always talked about Sophia and we got to see Sophia grow up um, at Leap. Sophia would actually be one of those who walked around and tried to sell raffle tickets during the Leap Galas. And you cannot say no to Sophia. So whatever Susan did, she taught her tenacity and resilience and persistence, but in the most nice way. (laughs) So um, I'm so happy to see you, Sophia, because I feel like I've gotten a chance to see you. But uh, selfishly, when Tammy and I wanted to do this podcast, it was so that we could have conversations with people. I think more than ever, we wanted to be able to feel connected. And I thought, I want to use this time to actually ask Susan all the questions I've never had a chance to. And then I also get to now meet you, Sophia. So with that, I would love for you, I I don't know where you want to start, but I'd love for you to maybe introduce your mom. And then Susan, maybe also introduce um, Sophia. Oh, thank you so much for that heartfelt introduction. Wow, that was, oh my God. So here next to me, I have one of my best friends, the legend with spiky salt and pepper hair, powerful American woman from central Pennsylvania. I don't know how you did it. Here is Susan Jen Davis. That was a great introduction. (laughs) And I'll I'll say... uh, here with me is, is uh, Sophia Jen Malatesta, who is my daughter, but she's much more than that. She's actually, I think, the most influential person in my life. And, you know, it's we're mother daughter for sure. Um, and the circumstances um, of our lives, uh, that's put us as sort of like the only for each other. So uh, Sophia's dad died when she was four and I have raised Sophia I don't want to say by myself because that wouldn't be fair. I've raised mm-hmm. my, I've raised her um, as an only parent, but I've had a community of people that have helped mm-hmm. me raise her, including my parents, my mm-hmm. family members, but That's also right. my my bigger community of of people like Leap. I mean, that was mm-hmm. part of her growing up years in her childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is of uh, Korean and Italian heritage, and she this beautiful blend of everything that is the best in both of those cultures and has actually created a whole new culture for herself uh, that, that really brings the best out in, in, in everybody. I mean, I think that's her gift is that she, she touches everybody deeply and just makes everything better. So that she is my best friend and she's my biggest influence, influence, as I mentioned. um, And I'm lucky that I'm her mother. So that's her introduction. Oh, you guys can can hear the love in their voice, but we also get to see them on the screen. And I mean, I see, I mean, there's so, so much energy between mother and daughter and, and real partners in, in our community. I love what you said about community because I feel like that's really a big part of leadership education for Asian Pacifics, a nonprofit. Um, and in fact, that's probably, I mean, in our previous podcast, Tammy talked about how she met her husband through LEAP. And so it, this, this concept of family as a part of leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Susan, about this community and what that was your experience? So Sophia, you know, being part of this community and following your mom, you know, to these different leap events. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of community really and community building really starts from when you're really young. Um, The way that I grew up was in the Korean uh, American community in a very small town in Pennsylvania where there wasn't a lot of diversity. So for us, it was like a haven. It was a place where we felt safe and secure, where we could be ourselves, where we felt like we belonged. And, you know, outside those community walls, we didn't belong. And people made it very obvious to us often 
that we were foreigners, that we weren't from there, that we looked strange, that we ate weird foods, that, you know, we just didn't at all encompass what it was like to be an American. And so we were always outsiders. So community from a very young age became about that place of belonging. And I think what you learn when you grow up that way is that the community is about that family and is about that team and that safe space. So as you get older, as I've, you know, continued in my career as an example, that stuck with me and that ability to find my community, to help build community, to create a sense of belonging and inclusion. That's been what I've always done. And I don't think Mm -hmm. it's been conscious. It's just been because that's maybe what I had to do. That's what I was able to, to have because of the community when I was growing up and it just became mm-hmm. second nature. I don't know where it came from, but it's it's just who I am and, and it's it's how I've become who I am. So that's the connection, family and community. Very similar, very combined, very interconnected mm-hmm. um, and very much part of who I am and who, who I've been able to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to add anything to that because you kind of grew up a little differently, but in a community. Yeah, I definitely grew up differently. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes is by Alice Walker. Um, I'm not sure, but it's it's hard to be what you can't see. And I feel like I have a very fortunate position um, to have grown up with my mom, um, especially being prominent in a lot of Asian American organizing and leadership because I grew up seeing um, so many different Asian people um, break stereotypes that were enforced around me by the white majority mainly that I grew up around. And that's a really special thing because I think it uh, in subliminal in passive and active ways has affected how I feel about myself. Like for example, I was able to form my high school's first um, like Asian student organization um, and club. And at my college during my first year, I was really lucky to be able to serve on my e-board. And I think that like part of this is because I feel like empowered as an Asian person, which is not a lot of things like that's not really a luxury that a lot of Asian people feel. Um, But I really feel like my mom is one of the most important reasons why I feel empowered in my identity. And of course, it hasn't always been that way. Um, I've had to do my own exploration, but my mom has always set a precedent um, in my family about being able to step outside of the mold that society has given us. Can I just have a daughter like Sophia? Or like, can Malia just be like Sophia when she grows up? I was saying this is why, you know, this this relationship's so special because it's been about sort of a role reversal. People are always like, oh, you really raised Sophia so well. And I'm like, or she raised me or she taught me. And that's really true. I'm not saying that to be funny. It's it's really true because interesting the insight that she has, the perspective that she has, and because she is biracial too, mm-hmm. looks Asian. Mm-hmm. that has really affected her sense of mm-hmm. identity and also has created an awareness in me about the complexities of race and mm-hmm. the complexity of, of, of what it's like mm-hmm. to be Asian American. Well, I'd love to know, Susan, how did you grow up? Did you identify as being Korean American, whether it's in raising Sophia or whether it's in becoming a chief sustainability officer? Like what were the things about being Korean American or Asian American that you felt like helped you or maybe were challenges um, with that identity? And, And I'd love to have Sophia react to any of that. And I'd love to know how it was different for Sophia growing up. 
Well, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about this before. The town I grew up in was not diverse and it was extremely conservative. It was um, it was not a, a positive environment for someone who is different to grow up in. Mm. And we grew up being like ridiculed and harassed and we just had a lot of really negative experiences. I watched my parents be be made fun of for their accents and and just the the lack of respect people had for them. Um, the way they were overlooked or ignored or, you know, just it, I just have these really stark images of those of those images about my parents and, and how I grew up. And my my parents didn't let it bother them. At least they didn't on the outside. I mean, they were trying to do bigger things like survive, mm-hmm. you know, make money enough so they can support us and the extended family they were bringing here from Korea. They had bigger problems, you know, than being made fun of. But we would come back to my mother and, and complain about this because we were kids. We just wanted to fit in. We wanted to be. We thought we were like everyone else. We were. We only knew being American. We weren't born in another country. And um, she never ever. She never had any sympathy for us on that. And I tell this story often. But she she said to us, you know, you're Korean. You're better than them. They're nothing. Proud <laughs> of who you are. And I was like. How does that help me with the ridicule on the bus? Mm. But, you know, I think as I grew up, you know, Tammy, to your question, that must have stuck in my head because, by the way, she had that same statement to me like numerous times throughout my childhood, because in the end, you know, I think what she was saying is be proud of who you are. Mm. You know, don't let other people define you. And I think in the end, that soaked in at some level and became sort of who I was and made my identity what it was and made my strength what it was. I don't think it was conscious. It wasn't like I said, therefore, I'm going to act this way. Looking back, I say, oh, that something must have clicked. I guess that really worked, the stuff that she said. Um, So I think that's then how I conducted myself around that. And then the other value would be around the family and community that we talked about. Mm -hmm. I'm very much about team building and about you know, being, you know, a, a team and, and doing everything for each other. You know, the, the value that I have on my team is people first. That is the first value. Mm. I think that comes from mm-hmm. my upbringing. I, I don't I didn't realize it until now, perhaps uh, that's how a lot of this is, is that you look back and say, oh, that must have been what it is. Mm. But I think that did derive from my Asian upbringing and culture and heritage. Uh, so I got to say that those two things, being confident, being proud of who you are, um, not letting others define you, and then creating team, creating inclusion, creating a community. I think those things definitely came from from how I grew up, uh, kind of despite it myself. Like I didn't know it, but it is. I don't know. Do you feel like that? Mm. Have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that example that you gave of uh, family being so important to so whatever work you do and emphasizing a collective need rather than just your individual needs, especially in the way that, um, like my grandmother who passed, she was like my second mom. Um, She has raised me since I was a baby, my grandfather. I think that um, coming from an immigrant lineage and being able to grow up with that has really instilled with me a sense of perspective about what's important um, in this world and um, what you need versus what you want. Like, for example, it's really tough to like it's really tough to like complain about, I don't know, like school or whatever, not fitting in when you have grandparents that like, for example, my grandfather um, was Korean in Japan and um, his parents 
um, passed in the Hiroshima bomb. Like, how can you really complain about what you have when your parents survived a war, when your parents survived genocide? Um, and so for me, that's like my grandparents. And so I feel like my mom's right. Like they, their goal is trying to survive um, in this country that didn't always welcome them. My mom's goal is trying to fulfill their dream of her. And I feel like now my role is trying to find my own dream. All of this I can fit into, you know, paying homage to the family that I've had, to this rich upbringing, which is so diverse. And there's no really singular Korean American or Asian American upbringing, I think. But I think that all of these things are a part of who I am. Boom. Every time Sophia speaks, it's like, Mike, I'm going to just leave now because I can't. A more important podcast to hear, right? Okay, so thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> well, uh, well, Tammy, I was thinking, like, I hope my daughter, you know, I mean, I have, I have new goals now for my daughter and me. <laughs> Sophia, you you mentioned earlier about how your mom has been such a great role model for you, and 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 you look to her, um, you know, for inspiration and, you know, in your life. Can you talk a little bit about that, you know, in terms of that challenge that you met and how, you know, how you, how you got through it? Um, I guess that the primary challenge of my life since I was a young child would be, um, I guess, like dealing with the loss of my father and growing up only basically having my mother and me and our cats, of course, very important. I guess navigating, um, how I want to identify, what identity society imputes on me, what my family expects and how they see me, um, and especially growing up as a biracial white and Asian person trying to figure out where I fit in. How, I mean, even though I'm 50-50, my blood um, is Italian and Korean and some other stuff, um, society really has treated me like an Asian person. And I, I've grown up, I've kind of had like an Asian upbringing. My, my chosen family are Asian people. And so I think that that's been quite confusing navigating. Um, like when I go to Asian spaces, you know, I feel like more empowered than I've ever felt. And I didn't really connect that to the way that I, I relate Asian people as family. And also the way that sometimes Asian people um, will like ask me like, not fully accept me. I mean, of course, not the same way that I imagine like a black and Asian person, for example, would go through that, but like still like, oh yeah, I'm Korean. And then somebody asking, and what else? And like, and what else? Not fully affirming that I can be both and, and not really be half and not complete. Yeah, and I want to I want to point something out on that one. Um, Sophia went to a conference when she was in high school, mm. and it was for like multicultural students, mm. oh, yeah. high school Very students. And this is when it really hit me because she's right; she kind of grew up Korean. Yeah, I went to. The- she didn't kind of yeah. grow up with Korean. Can you imagine my mom? It was she a grew up Korean, time. right? Yeah. Um, racial affinity groups, basically. Yes. The conference is called Student Diversity Leadership Conference, um, and it's part of, I think. Uh, something regarding independent schooling. Was it something that you self-selected to go to or? I think at the end of middle school and on, I um, had the opportunity um, and luxury to be able to attend this Quaker school uh, called Westtown School in Westchester. And a lot of their teaching and a lot of their values were centered around like social justice and 
like exploring the nuances of race. And part of that, a lot of that is accredited to the students and of color that started that. But yeah, um, at that conference, um, we had required kind of racial affinity groups to go to where there were like all of these, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. All of these incredible like students of color that were organizers and empowered in their identities and doing this amazing work. And um, I was really like, I basically attended the Asian affinity group instead of the multiracial affinity group because I felt like I was Asian, you know, like I don't, I mean, of course, like my last name is Malatesta and Asian people, some Asian people don't really see me as Asian. Um, a great story of this would be at um, my high school's cultural I guys show like I wore a hanbok and I was like next to the mandu or dumplings and like this Korean boy was like you're Asian and I was so confused I was like what like all my life yeah. like people are saying these Asian slurs to me and stuff like that and anyways so yeah I went to the Asian affinity group and um mom I think you can yeah so the next, the next day she texted me this picture of her with went to all the of these kids who were half Korean and half something else. Mm -hmm. So they were kids like her, Korean, African-American, Korean, Indian, Korean, Italian. And she said something like, this is the happiest day of my life. Yeah. I went to the affinity group and I, I really wasn't expecting to um, like feel a lot of like belonging because I thought that in a lot of ways, like the multiracial experience is just like, you know, like having the perfect, you know, proportional blend of all of your <laughs> cultures. And so, I didn't feel like related to that, but yeah, being I, like I, literally like 20 half Korean kids. Half that, Korean. I mean, of course, all of our experiences are different, but we were able to like align with that confusing, like in between, not really feeling enough of anything space it was and we that's had when it hit chat. me it was so good yeah that's when it hit me and I just cried <laughs> because I didn't realize how how she felt how she didn't feel either you know the Korean you know Asian Americans feel the same way we're not yes, American exactly, enough exactly. we're not the visual depiction of Americans they don't look like us and then we go to Asian we're not Asian right hmm. well this was more than that it was like she like her sense of not belonging mm -hmm. anywhere really just just hurt me mm -hmm. and made me understand at a different level what it's like to be someone of color in America it was, it was powerful it was I I still get choked up thinking about that because that is the pain and this is we don't live in a society always that allows people to be other than what they're labeled mm -hmm. And my labels don't, we, we, I just learned something right today in my journal that I'm reading that said something like, don't be boxed into labels that weren't meant for you. Like don't try to put yourself into a box that wasn't designed for you in the first place. That's how I feel about being a person of color in America and imagine how it feels for someone who has a more complex identity. Mm, it's just interesting. I think complex. I, I think definitely. that definitely that's a great that's a great point that you make. That a lot of Asian Americans are faced with this 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 challenge of really not feeling like Asian Americans going to Asia feeling less Asian than ever, and going to you know growing up in America and feeling you know hyper Asian or just like that that confusion of you know where do I belong. Um, 
what do others want of me? What does my family do want of me? What does society me? want of me? What do I want of me? Yeah, it's welcome to Asian in America, yeah. right? I mean, that's what it, that's what Leap that's what Leap's trying to help. Um, I think it's very real. Um, we're model minorities on the one hand, but we get no benefit from that. It's not like because we're the model minority, they're going to put us in leadership positions and they're going to pay us. But then we're not diverse enough. We're not people of color enough to be included in any diversity effort in any solving the problem around equality. Right. So we are literally mm-hmm. neither, neither, mm-hmm. neither place. And therefore we are ignored and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I think that is used against other and used against like, as a weapon. We're weaponized. I don't know about you all, but I feel like as much as we have made lots of progress, I remember growing up and sometimes listening when people say, oh, the uh, black African-American community and the Hispanic community. And I would always say like, oh, are they going to say Asian? You know, and it's like, oh, nope, they've moved on. And <laughs> right. Right. And I and I still kind of, like, oh, they, they, they just completely forget about us, uh, period. I'm I'm curious, um, Sophia. I don't want to pretend that I know. Are you in college now, Sophia? Yes. Okay. Tell us tell us about what college has been like when you were talking about not fitting in. Do you feel like you have been able to find that more now? What does that look like for you now? Thank you so much for asking. That's a great question. Um, so currently, I am 19 years old, um, and I'm in my sophomore year of college at Bryn Mawr College, which is a historically women's college in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, um, also where my mother attended, although that was not on purpose. That's another story, though. I did not want to go. I did not do that. I accidentally went to the court, and I was like, this is home. So in terms of how I feel like I belong, um, how I feel in myself, Bryn Mawr has awakened I just, I, I don't think that I've ever felt more like I've come into myself. Um, that's kind of like a stereotype of college, but I think that like Bryn Mawr being so like full of kind of like a community where like misfits lead a lot of the times is really spectacular to have. Um, also an environment where a lot of like where women and non-binary people are like taking center stage all the time. Like it really, like, it's like when I first went to, um, a conference of Asian people and I just felt like my, myself shift and come into my power and be able to talk with, with, confidence and conviction um it's a very similar feeling where i suddenly feel like it's a very special space where i i feel like i can come into myself and of course it's not like it's this bubble that like doesn't have any effects of sexism or stuff like that but I, a lot of people at brimmar are like very um very openly gay very queer shaving their heads um like very radical and and very intellectually engaged. And that is, that's the bar that is set. Um, and that's a very special environment to be in. And I think that I've found the most, the most refuge um, in the college and the most inspiration and the most empowerment from being in spaces that are for um, queer people of color. Like there's a club dedicated to it um, called uh, Zami at my school, which is like run by students of color on campus who are uh, definitely a minority uh, within a minority um, and it is like I just feel like the bar has been raised for my own self-inquiry for my own engagement with the world 
um, I just feel like so overwhelmingly grateful and inspired by all of these like leaders that I see every day, like big and small, like that ones that are, you know, out and engaged with the community and like a part of all these fancy organizations, but also ones that are doing the unseen kind of labor and care. Unseen, yeah. yeah. That are, that are, you know, Unpaid. like stopping by my room to see if I'm okay. That are, um, you know, like checking in with me in texts that are making me playlists that are, um, that are like organizing painting sessions and skincare nights. Like <laughs> it's, it's yeah. really beautiful. Belonging. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Belonging. And that, I think that kind of work is really appreciated at Bryn Mawr, especially having um, a majority woman leadership. Where do you go from there? No, honestly, where do you go from but there? I, I think the mom, I, I wonder about, since you also attended Bryn Mawr College, um, and I remember you talking about how in a lot of ways that was your escape from central Pennsylvania, like the extreme, like the super, like white, super conservative yeah. uh, headspace. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it was revenge of the nerds. Um, <laughs> it was, it was revenge of the nerds and, and revenge of the people of color. I mean, in that kind of, not a hundred percent because there's, there's, there's more work to be done there, but you know, being Asian American and having like a major space of safety and security mm-hmm. somewhere. Like I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And at the time I was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, which was really influential uh, over my sense of how I wanted to express my identity. Mm-hmm. Definitely more of a radical way of expressing my identity, but an adamant way of mm-hmm. expressing who I was and not being not being like a fearless, a fearlessness about identity and a combativeness about it, which is really around the shift of power. You know, when people of color or marginalized people feel powerful, there's a shift that happens in their mind and in their behavior and in the words and in the actions that they do. And I think that's what happened is sort of like a true empowerment happened. So, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to create environments where that can happen. Because you know it can happen because you've been in those environments. Mm-hmm. How do you recreate those mm-hmm. so that others well, get empowered and they build on each yes. other? Exactly. Because once the mindset shifts, you can take that person out of that community and they will both be more powerful as an individual and they will also empower others. Mm-hmm. And it begins to multiply. So that is super important um, for us to do as leaders ate those communities of safety and empowerment just reminded of this one quote that i really like i forget where it comes from which is that like if you don't focus on your wellness you will you will soon have to focus on your illness and i think that um this is this is not just true for an individual scale i think that it's true for like the world that you want to build the world that you want to to create um with other people which is that like these microcosmic Mm. Um, manifestations of belonging and of safety um, like they're not just in a bubble like people will feel empowered to be able to create a more well world when they feel like they have individual experiences of it I really feel that way I really love that because intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. is like based on the fact that there's no healing from trauma and it continues it perpetuates mm-hmm. over and over again the generations yeah. which is why it's so important that they're that we need to heal from slavery, right? But we also have to heal from all the Asian 
um, trauma that we've that we've experienced over generations mm-hmm. that didn't happen in this country. We we got traumatized. Mm-hmm. So how do we turn that around Let into it out. yes and heal mm-hmm. heal ourselves so that we can then begin to take command of ourselves and our identities and create voices for mm-hmm. ourselves and strength and power. I think that's like, super important. Mm-hmm. I just realized that just this minute because of what you said. Why I seriously. Well, that goes back to what you said about how Sophia is raising you or raising us. <laughs> right? in constant learning. I'm so humbled by that, too, because it's like, it's I mean, of course, like, you're always going to have, like, this authority over me as my parent. But I try. Kind of like, having a relationship where, I mean, I don't know if this is, like, not Asian or Asian or what, or if this is, like, an Americanized consciousness of parenting, but, like, having a relationship where hierarchy isn't, central to like how we operate like being able to be a student and a teacher always in all aspects of your life like with my mom like you know obviously she's my parent she does have authority over me but like we get to learn from each other and that's I guess one of the foundational reasons why I feel so close to you and why we're so close because we're able to admit when we can learn and when we're teaching and I think that's really that's really unique. I think that's true. And and for all you parents out there, <laughs> I want to do a couple myth busters here. Number one, you know, that whole myth around, you know, you're going to mold this child into, you know, this human being, and then you're going to launch them <laughs> into the world. Okay. That's not what happens. Okay. They come out baked and you can maybe influence how that personality predisposition kind of presents itself, but at the end of the day, they are who they are. That's number one. And number two, at the end of the day, the biggest influence I have over her, my power over her is around wear a jacket when it's winter (laughs) and eat, eat before you go to school. Those are the (laughs) things that we have power over. Everything Mm. else is an (laughs) illusion. We do not have power over many other things. (laughs) Well, at least that's my well, Actually, I want to hear from uh, Tammy, both parents. Yes, are, both are you people. both parents? Yeah. yeah. How, how do you feel about Yeah, how do you feel about this whole power? How do you feel about um, my experience is very different. And so Susan, what you said about having control over whether they wear a jacket or eat, I have toddlers. So I feel like I have no control over what they eat. Um, they're picky eaters. So I don't, I don't believe that yet. <laughs> so maybe in a couple of years, but Tammy and I actually have a very different experience. We're both Vietnamese Americans and you know, our parents both um, are Vietnamese refugees, but my parents were very politically active when they came to the United States. And, and, and I, I say politically active was they're very anti-communists in Vietnam. And so I grew up watching that. My parents, I, I mean, we ne- they never, uh, I never got to ask questions like similar to Tammy, but I also felt like I was empowered to, to, to fight, right. To fight against things that are wrong. Because I see, I saw my parents doing that, you know, even though they're halfway around, you know, on the other side of the world away from Vietnam, but, but they were all always kind of speaking up about the, the wrongs of things that were happening in their homeland. So, but back to your question about being parents, I, I, I hope I have new, I have new goals now that, you know, hopefully my, my, my kids will be good citizens of the world. 
Um, I love what you just said about how um, there's learning both ways. And you know, earlier in the show, you were talking about role reversal. Um, Susan, a question for you is how does that manifest in your leadership um, at work? You know, you're an executive, you're a chief sustainability officer, and I'm sure you have lots of people who work for you that maybe years, you know, uh, you know, throughout your career that were older than you that are a lot younger than you. How, do, how does that manifest itself in the workplace in terms of, you know, learning from each other and kind of, you know, how does that look? That's a good question. You know, I really think that as leaders, we have to be very conscious about what we do, what we say. I mean, there's got to be a lot of like purposeful actions that and words that we have to be very conscious of. So, you know, and being a role model, whether we want to or not, people are watching us for how we react, how we behave, how we walk into rooms and all that. So so there's all that. But the other piece that I don't think people talk about a lot when they call when they talk about leadership development is are two things. One is sort of like this servant leadership mm-hmm. that in fact that your leadership role is around how you can serve others. Mm-hmm. And that's not always well developed in a lot of environments that I've been in and how important that is to be able to use your status, your power for good, you know, to empower others. We talked about empowerment and how we need to, we need to create that capability in leaders. That's the first. And the second thing I would say is to your point, Tammy, how much we learn as leaders from people on the team and how we have to give voice and agency to people on our Mm. team, regardless of status. I don't care if you're an assistant or you're a VP or manager, you're just out of school, you've been in the workplace longer than me you know, that there is an equality of, of voice and mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. Um, around what we do, how we do, about the strategy, about how we operate the team. That's super important because you don't have a team if everybody doesn't feel like they're part of the team, mm-hmm. that they can contribute to the team, that what they say matters, what they do matters. So I think that's probably what I inadvertently learned from being a parent that, that 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 has to happen in order for you to be the better unit, right? Mm-hmm. So we're a good, strong unit. And by the way, I didn't know this, so it's not like I have so much wisdom. Like, well, you know, when I was raising Sophia, I specifically made sure that <laughs> we both had equal status with one another. Yeah. No, I had no idea. You know, but I came to that awareness later in life. Um, um, so I'm just telling, you know, you as younger parents to please remember this. But as leaders, this very informative, right? About about how we can be better leaders, better leaders, and better leaders that develop others. Mm, and also trying to determine what does leadership look like without this paradigm of kind of having an ownership or a hierarchy having over a title. people, or over. having a title. Yeah. We're not over people when we're with people. You're with people. You know, I had a leader that once told me, assume you have more authority than you do, you know, in terms of taking, making decisions. And I feel like that's so important. And it, it, so Sophia, what you just said reminded me of that, this paradigm of hierarchy. And I feel like the new workplace or, you know, um, as more younger people like you, Sophia, get into the workplace. And um, I feel like that's so important that we, we encourage people of all walks of life and experience, whether it's one year or 30 years that you're able to kind of share and learn from each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not sure though, if this is um, like, if this is kind of like antagonizing the, the 
values of Confucianism and stuff like that. That's kind of confusing to trying to like, well, does this make me like anti Asian philosophically? Like, I don't know. I I think that there has to be about, I think that in some ways this can be um, a reckoning that is, that works with both individuality and collectivism that, Mm. that we learned growing up. Um, I think that it's about like trying to empower like everybody collectively, but I sometimes, I don't know, this is a kind of an existential question that I have. I think it's confusing as a, as a matter of upbringing when you're told on the one hand, you the iron fist leader of the family, the father, the yes. mom, like the father, yes. there's a hierarchy, right? The ministers, the teachers, your parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't say anything. You just listen to them on the one hand. On the other hand, there is no I. Mm-hmm. There's only mm-hmm. yes. family, community, right? To me, that's like confusing because like on the mm-hmm. one hand, I'm supposed to be very like deferential to authority. On mm-hmm. the other hand, which by the way, is not an individual, question. is not an question. individual question. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's all about the family. It's not about you. I'm very confused. <laughs> so it's so, so all that. Okay, leap. <laughs> Linda. <laughs> that's the way to solve it is to go through a leap programming or something. Susan, Sophia, maybe we could ask you one thing, because I think we want to try to ask all of our guests is um, if you can share how you made a leap, you know, a leap of faith or a leap into an opportunity or a challenge. Oh, my God. Tough question, because there's so many kinds of leaps. Like I was talking to my mom about sometimes you leap into some things and sometimes you're pushed and then end up leaping. Um, But I guess that's something that I took agency of. Something that I leaped into recently would be um, realizing that I want to pursue fine arts as my major uh, instead of social sciences. Um, And in some ways, like this is something that I uh, have like the privilege of being able to do um, because I'm not focused on like, you know, trying to preserve like the financial Um, sustainability of my family or of anything like that. Um, But it was still a really big deal to try to, um, like, with my own psyche of, like, growing up and trying to validate, like, what is that actual legitimate career? What is, you know, like, what it what how can I say face how can I look good how can I look smart to other people? Um, I think that that was like something that I had to leap over in order to uh, tell myself that like, uh, that creation and painting or art is going to be expression is going to be fundamental to whatever I end up pursuing as my life path. Um, and even though that means like minoring in psychology or child and family studies and having that element as well, I, I think that realizing that, um, you know, the, the parts that aren't really empirical, that aren't um, so like so logical, so quantitative, is really fundamental to who I am and that I don't have to be so quantified. I think that that was the biggest leap that I've, that I've taken lately. Yeah. I mean, and that kind of gets into the whole Asian upbringing, right? I mean, my mother's not here to say, Sophia, you know, those jobs, mm-hmm. you, you may not get a good job. I'm sure she would. If you, too. you become <laughs> a fine artist, Sophia, yeah. right? I mean, we were brought up like, so even if there was a not an issue around, you know, making money to, for, to take care of our family, mm-hmm. there's always that perception, mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of, that, that is a leap. That is a leap. 
and we actually had to, we had to talk about it because she was worried. (laughs) She was crying. She was worried about telling me that. Meanwhile, I was like, don't be like me. Do something you love from the beginning. I know not everybody has that too. (laughs) Not everybody has like a mom or a parent or a caregiver that's like, yes, do it. Like pursue your passions and like, like live. Especially if you're Asian. Like with your yeah, Asians like seriously. We don't know what passion is. No. Just get a good job, so you get a good salary. <laughs> you know, take me on vacation. Um, yeah, so that was a big deal. Um, I think for me, um, several years ago, my um, executive and she was a sponsor of my career as well. She got suddenly moved out of her role, mm. and so I then did not know if I was going to continue with the company. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And what I did out of that is uh, the leap I took was I went to a very senior executive and I said, this is what I think we should do. We should do sustainability. We should have a program around it. We should have an approach. Um, I should lead that um, and I should be the chief sustainability officer. And I just said, what do I have to lose? And if they say no, I'm back where I am anyway, which is in, in an uncertain situation. And what do I have to gain? I have a lot to gain. I could actually actually get that job. So I think that's the leap that I took at the time. And it really shows me that you just, you got to say it, you know, name it, say it, use your voice, um, take that leap. And, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last four years. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not taken that leap. Mm-hmm.